Jack. Ready to roll. Justin. Right. Excellent. What are we doing today? Well, this is a personal favorite. Uh, pulling out of the, the current and golden oldies. I want to talk a little bit about application security, if that's cool with you. Dear God, baby Jesus, I love this topic. <laughs> Excellent, because applications are at the root of so much that we do. Uh, I just want to give you a little bit of background. Uh, and this is good because I love hitting just some of these off the top. Uh, we get those honest, truthful, candid, experienced opinions. <laughs> Well, the truth of the matter is, I'm I'm also not not witty enough to come up with anything but off the cuff. So, <laughs> so for the listeners, the reason behind this is I was having a conversation with uh, one of our clients, really really smart, and they are anxious to do even more in application security. And they were talking to a series of vendors, and sort of the uniform voice among the vendors was, "Dude, you got to do this." And what, "Dude, you got to do this," was basically. They wanted them to go on the equivalent of like man versus food and eat the seven pound hamburger with fries, right? You should do all of this at one time. And I was having the conversation with the folks and I was like, you know, guys, really, this is hard, right? This is, this is harder than you think. And so I was thinking maybe today, Justin, we could talk a little bit about something that's a little more practical, right? Uh, a way in which to be more pragmatic about application security and to do it in a way that's interesting and manageable for folks. Yeah, I'm down. We can drill in a little bit. AppSec is a massive, massive topic. But I mean, it's basically today's commerce. Like all of commerce today involves some sort of web app that is, in my experience, probably not awesome on the, on the backside of it. <laughs> right on. And, and, I, and I think about it, right? I think about a lot of the statewide and countywide organizations we serve, as well as the commercial customers. And a lot of times, you know, they were moving really fast. Smart people adopting new technology, finding ways to make it better for the citizenry or the, the customers, what have you, that they had to deal with. They ran, right, to help make these people more productive. And they ran there with vendors, right? And sometimes the way they ran didn't account for the fact that in the future, some of the stuff that they were using may not be as secure as they'd want it to be. And then they find themselves in a position where it's possible applications are vulnerable. It's possible that fixes are necessary, but the contracts and contract language doesn't give them any teeth, right? Doesn't give them any stick mm -hmm. to try to make the thing better. And I know you've run into this before. Yeah. Well, it's, I guess for everybody listening, it's this situation. And I think we are always faced with is saying you have business objectives or in the case of state government is saying you have a state initiative and you can't find qualified people to do this thing fast enough. You can't find people to develop this app fast enough. And so what ends up happening is you buy something off the shelf, but in the case of state government specifically, that means it's kind of custom off the shelf. There's not a big market for state applications. There's certainly some vendors and suppliers that specialize in developing apps for a state government or a county or a state and local organization, whatever it may be. And they're kind of custom developing off something that they call off the shelf. <laughs> <laughs> Commercial off the shelf. Hot. Yeah. But, but it's not standard. It's kind of custom in, in every case to kind of meet the unique needs. So as a former remarkably effective CISO, I'm going to ask you to walk through this because I, I actually, because this is what I do, I took a bunch of notes and I want to walk <laughs> it through from sort of like left, left oh, to right. This is so classic. You are so much more prepared. <laughs> prepared, anal retentive, you pick the name. So listen, so let's talk about the applications that matter. I'm going to break this apart into two different sections, right? So go with me on this a little bit because it's not the way you're expecting me to break it down. So there are two kinds of applications that matter to that 
head of security or the CISO or the CIO inside an organization. Those two application bodies are these. One, the ones that exist. And two, the ones that people are trying to bring in shop, right? And for me, right, I think that oftentimes we think about security inventorying and how do I prioritize? We're thinking about what's the most important? Yay. I would suggest that a way to look at it differently to be effective in application security is what do I have to deal with and what am I still contracting for, right? And so again, your experience, how does this sound to you as a way to break down the applications as the foundational construct that we're going to use to talk about the rest of this more ornate application security program? Sounds good to me. All right, good. Right. So, because I'm thinking about it, right? (laughs) One of the most difficult parts about this whole mess is that people approach application security and they say, all right, I'm going to do two things. I'm going to do a data classification, then I'm going to do an application transactional prioritization, right? Which means I'm going to figure out where all this super secret data is, like, you know, personnel records and social security numbers, what have you. I'm going to put that over here. That's super important. And then I'm going to figure out which ones get tapped the most or the most externally facing. And in a traditional environment, as a security person, I'm like, I looked at my CIA metrics, and these are the most important ones to look at. Excellent. That Really nice. Problem with it is that a lot of those were written a long time ago, maybe, or a lot of those are available and I don't have source code for them, or I really can't do a great analysis, or the organizations that's running them, they're going to tell me to push a rope, right? So for the existing applications, it can be really, really hard, right? And if we as security people are thinking realistically about where we have value, it's not today, it's tomorrow, next year, five years from now, right? And so by breaking it down this way, I feel super excited because you can create a language and an expectation and a process that makes sure that the application that gets bought tomorrow is not going to fall into the same horrible pit of despair, different kind of pit of despair, this horrible pit of vipers that we're going to find ourselves in as we start talking about these existing applications. So I'm going to suggest that like an initial construct for this application security thing is that breakdown. I like it. You know, kind of faced with that challenge. Same. If I'm someone walking into a new program, the first analogy that comes to my mind is like a medic in an active battle scene, Mm. right? And you're basically, you're on the field of battle trying to help other soldiers that are already wounded and need medical help. Mm -hmm. But any medic will tell you they're a soldier first. Right on. And unless you can stop someone from shooting at you, it makes no sense whether you give this person medical help, because if you treat them and they stand up and just get shot again anyway, like what good was your effort? It's kind of a sad analogy, but it's really the case. And, you know, in case of a field medic is saying you hope you go into these situations where you have cover in order to treat the already wounded, but there's going to be situations where you don't, you know, and if that's the case, you have to pick up your rifle and shoot. So in this case, like, I think the demarcation makes a lot of sense. So I I like where you're going. I'm going to stick with your metaphor. Yeah. Right. Because I think that leads us really, really naturally into what is going to be for the existing applications. What's the triage process, right? The step after, can I safely serve my fellow warrior, right? Is who do I serve first? 
right? And so I think that people tend to think of application security as a relatively binary operation. Is it secure? Is it not? How do I check it? It's always the same, but it's not that way, right? And just for the audience, I mean, for the listeners, especially those who aren't very technical, I want you to think about it in these two gross granularity things. Now, the folks from Synopsys and Veracode and what have you can send me hate mail, right? But I'm just going to say there's like dynamic testing, which is I'm testing as it's kind of running, and I'm going to look at the source code of it. I'm going to test how it's built, right? And from my perspective, uh, and I have a little experience here. The dynamic stuff is like a badnessometer, right? So if the badnessometer says you've got a problem, you probably got a problem, right? <laughs> says the former founder of Ounce Labs. Yeah. But, but basically it's that, right? So it's, it's like dynamic tells you, you get a big deal. That's a badnessometer. But then if you decide what you're going to do is really look at it and look at it hard, you're working with the vendor, you're looking at the people who wrote it, and you're looking at the source code to find out how you fix it, right? So my suggestion is that that initial triage, that that heroic medic is going to do is they're going to do a quick look, right? The medic is not running out there with a CAT scan machine. That is super heavy, right? They're doing a quick assessment and because they're smart and brave and they're going to figure it out, they're going to say this one first, right? That's the dynamic scan, right? So if I think about those embedded applications, which are going to be harder to address and harder to get information about, that dynamic scan gives you a great idea of on the badnessometer scale, who's horrible, right? And the reason I bring it up, not just to describe the tech in that way, but to talk about it because it's a very different model for the new applications that are going to come in. I'm not going to be using a badnessometer in the applications coming in because I still have some stick, right? I can still work with the contract to make sure that it's what I need it to be when I bring it in. But for those existing applications, as I'm going around different secretariats in a state-run organization, or maybe as I'm looking across various departments in a commercial group, I'm going to ask them to allow us to do that discovery and to do a badnessometer so I can tell them for their benefit, this one looks a little sick and this one looks really sick. And this one kind of looks okay. No guarantees, but it kind of looks okay. Yep. The discovery exercise is kind of an important step one. Mm -hmm. When you first asked the question, I'm like, I'm, I immediately went into like triage. <laughs> so, like, all right, how would I do this? And you kind of broke it out like existing versus new, maybe new or not here yet. And even within the existing bucket, just starting there is saying there's an inherent natural discovery exercise that exists as a risk management exercise, just coming back to the security lens for a second. And for me, when I look at it, I'm saying, okay, is this like a true commercial app? Is this maybe like something like an Oracle or an SAP mm -hmm. or something of that nature? Whereas there's um, already contractual promises about the security of an application. Then there's going to be those whole other things, this whole other population of apps who are saying they're not that, right? And yeah, if I'm in that position where I'm inheriting you know, application security landscape for all these apps is saying, I want to do that discovery exercise RFN because I need to know if the bus is about to hit me. <laughs> right on. <laughs> yeah. And I love the way you describe it, right? Because what you've just done is you've created this three-dimensional lens on looking at the existing applications because we know from early discussion, right, that one of the lenses is what's it doing, what's it protecting, right? So that gives you like two dimensions, right? But the other one you just mentioned is so important. What are my expectations and my contractual obligations of the vendor for supporting it? And between those three dimensions, right, I can put a point in space 
that says from a triage perspective, who should I even look at in a more detailed way? And if the badnessometer decides that a product that comes out of a great company like Oracle or Microsoft, somebody else says it's in trouble, there's definitely a path home from there. If the badnessometer, the dynamic test shows that one of those other applications, which isn't as well supported by a company you know, with the reputation to worry about, then that's a different kind of thing. So I like the fact you've just described those three axes in a way that's like super helpful for deciding who to triage. Yeah. Actually, you know what? Come back to the military analogy. Like it, it actually works based on your initial diagnosis and discovery exercise and, you know, symptoms of the patient. Some need additional security help. Some are going to need remediation. And some say, we're not going to do any of those things. Rather, we're going to park it over here on the far left side and we're going to put a WAF in front of it because the vulnerabilities are not as egregious and could be uh, sheltered under the umbrella of all of the natural capabilities that exist within a web, a web application firewall. And for right now, it's not ideal, but it's going to mitigate enough risk for me so that I can kind of flip this over and I can start doing triage on all the things that I know that are kind of about to die. <laughs> nice, dude. I love it. And I, I'm going to stick with your metaphor, right? I'm going to carry this through the rest of it, right? I'm going to take a step back from the existing applications because once we have gone through that process and we've done our prioritization and there are some that we want to prioritize, that we, we've triaged and we want to prioritize, we got to put them through a system. And I would argue that the system for those is going to be the same as the system for new. Because in your analogy, right, in the analogy that you use, deciding where to fight, when the generals decide the right place to fight, that is the acquisition of new applications. Yep. Right? Because those leaders do a lot of hard work to map out what is going to happen, what are the likely scenarios, how do we minimize loss of life, how do we you know, improve our likelihood of success. That's exactly what should be happening, in your metaphor, for the application securities that I bring in. Because I'm about to reach a contract either with a really highly reputed vendor or with somebody who's kind of small and new building it for me alone. I, at this point in time, I'm going to say I have the stick, which is sort of a pejorative, right? But it's also a time where I can communicate what I mean by security. And a lot of these good vendors will do the right thing. When I tell a vendor, hey, I need a way to access some marketing data. They're going to give me something that accesses marketing. They're not going to worry about it. When I say, listen to me, I need an application that allows me to access secure data, including marketing information, and it has to be secure. They're going to do a very different job, right? So the onus is also on the people who are asking for it to write the contracts in such a way that they could deliver something that's more secure. But when that happens, right, when that is in place, either because the application is so critical from your description earlier on, and I've pushed it through triage and I need it to be this way, or I know coming in that I want to make sure this thing is good, then you put it through a different process, right? You can run the badnessometer if you want to, to decide how much work it's going to be, mainly job scoping wise, but then you got to take a look inside. You want to do some research, you'll want to talk to either open source initiatives or do the analysis yourself and find out, are there known vulnerabilities? Is there a pattern of vulnerabilities? Are there vulnerabilities that can be fixed? And do a feedback loop with a reputable vendor, right, to get that stuff done. Yeah. And I think you're getting to this point, but even if you have a new application, right, and you've built all the processes to ensure the hygiene of the new application is correct from the beginning, doesn't mean the threat landscape will never shift. Right on. It will absolutely shift. And just because you built it exactly to spec doesn't mean it's going to be good forever. So whether it's like a true COTS, 
whether it's existing or whether it's new, you still have to have a process, a framework, a methodology that's circular Mm. in kind of continually vetting the posture of any of these apps, wherever they sit within their life cycle, so that you can maintain your application security posture, your hygiene. Dude, I love it. Like, I'm going to take that and I'll point the listeners back to our Log4j um, podcast, right? What a perfect example, right? Nobody expected Log4j to have problems that are discovered later on. People made good decisions to buy products which incorporated Log4j because it's great stuff, right? And the Log4j team was working their asses off. They're building great stuff. And then suddenly this thing happens. And if you take the approach you just described, which is you recognize that in the future, the world will change. And a thing that I think is safe now may not be safe tomorrow, then you've protected yourself. And by protection, I mean, you've reached an agreement. It may cost a couple of extra bucks to support the organizations which are providing you with the technology you need, knowing that they're also going to have to do hard work to make it stay secure over the course of time. I think it's a great point. Jack, let me let me ask you this. So everything we just talked about, you know, I think whoever is listening to this can get behind everything we just talked about. Totally makes sense. If you've been in security for more than 30 seconds, you'll agree like these things are true. What would you recommend to people as to kind of like how to get in front of some of this stuff? I mean, we've kind of talked about a lot of stuff like a philosophy, an approach. You have more experience in this space than than anybody. What do you think? I would start off with having the discussion with the vendors, especially if they're like software custom shops developing stuff because they're full of smart people. But let's face it, from a cybersecurity perspective, while there are now great cybersecurity degrees, uh, degrees in understanding how to manage cybersecurity, at least as far as I know, I see no requirements at any college curriculum for enforcing that people write secure code as part of a computer science degree, right? And so it is impossible to expect that really smart people will naturally incorporate good cybersecurity behavior into the programming practices. Not that they won't program securely, but they'll program three different modules securely and the glue in the middle will blow them up, right? So number one, have the discussion with the vendor. Help them to understand what you mean by security, because what I mean by security as a bank is going to be different than what McDubswell expects for security on a public utility providing power and what you, Justin, will expect for security when you're working for the national defense community. So all different things, have that discussion, number one. Number two, understand that security isn't free. Do you want to buy the application that in two years may be completely vulnerable and leave you exposed and you have no protection? Or do you want to invest a little extra money both up front and ongoing to ensure that that thing stays secure? You know, and as you're thinking about it, you're like, well, what do I do? Meow, meow, meow. I don't know. Here's what you do. You think about what it will cost you if this thing turns into a pile. If this thing turns into a black hole of security and it's going to ruin everything, think about how bad that is. And so when you go into the management team or the funders or the regulators and utility industry, and you're trying to express to them why it needs to cost a little more, item number two is helping them understand that you want to make sure that it remains secure. And I promise you, they're not going to say no. Nobody wants to sign the PO on the bottom of which is a codicil that says, this is not the secure option. I, Jack Danny, he chose to sign off on something that's less secure because it saved me 15%. No one's ever going to sign that. And then the third thing is to figure out a process that works for you. And this is what we're talking about from the start of the show, right? Which is think about how you're going to handle things internally. But really, honest to God, think about what cybersecurity is going to be like in three to five years. Try to solve the problem for the person who's going to follow you after you get promoted to president because you've kicked ass as the CISO. Figure out how the security for everything gets better over time. 
Because what's happened for the last 30 years that I've been doing this is that people keep kicking the ball. And especially if you're in the public sector and it's two to six year election cycles, they keep kicking the ball forward. Nah, we're going to get them what they want. The registry is going to be fully online. Congratulations. But there's no security, right? Oh, it's not going to get broken into until year three because it's going to take us two and a half years to build it. So that's the next person's problem, right? No, think about it now. Be the person who steps up, who creates the strategy and the process that makes this an ongoing part of everything from purchasing to vendor selection to vendor management to update that allows you to go. You do those three things and I think you're home. Yeah, it's funny. On the last one, you think about someone's legacy, right? Of saying, hey, my, my shelf life is super short. I'm going to try to do the best I possibly can in this short period of time. And whether it's standing up the registry portal on like on a fire sale situation and do it as soon as possible, like that's some motivation for people. But I kind of flip it around and I'm saying, all right, well, if you're in charge of security, for that organization, like that's a more impressive legacy to say you've created a security architecture that enabled all of these legacy creators and makers to be successful. And if you're in that position, your budget's going to be infinite because you are making careers all day long. hundred percent. You know, it, God, I love the way you just described that. You know what it did to me? It made me say, all right, who has a legacy, right? And, and I think outside of security, right? Who has a legacy? John F. Kennedy created a space program with a challenge to get to the moon. But his overall impression was the United States, for those of you listeners in the U.S., the United States is a country that is going to lead the way into space in a really constructive way. If, again, I live in the United States deal. If I look at uh, FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, (laughs) right? He came through a period of time where the American economy was decimated. And he said, we've got to figure out a way that the robust economy that typically exists in the U.S. will support people who find themselves in trouble. And he rolled out Social Security, right? The legacy of great women and great men is how they benefit the people who come after them, right? And I hate to like aggrandize, you know, what goes on cybersecurity, like it's it's that meaningful. But frankly, dudes, it is. You know, bad people could break Social Security or the space program today through cybersecurity, right? But if you're setting yourself up in that position in your company, in your governmental organization, in your county, so that the people who follow to Justin's point will be more successful standing on your shoulders, damn it, that's a great place to be. Isaac Newton came up with some pretty basic stuff and the rest of the world built on top of it. So I suggest, you know, you think the same way right? Build it out in such a way that in the years after you're gone, your legacy isn't what you did. It's the way in which you empowered others to do things that you thought were important. Just as a complete tangent for a second, I think this is a lot of the reason why the kind of philosophically, you know, we've talked about putting our people first, right? Of saying our goal as leaders is to create a platform that enables people to be successful and put all of their goodness on top of everything else. And really is saying like you're giving smart people who wouldn't have had the opportunity otherwise to be excellent in ways that you never could. And that's a super hard thing to do. Right on. Yeah. Let me kind of flip this around the other side here. So kind of ask the the question a different way. So, you know, we've kind of talked about what uh, a security leader might do in order to kind of get in front of their application security posture. There's the highly, highly likely scenario that's going to present itself where they go out to the market, ask for help, and the market says, hey, Your recipe only says you need a cup of milk, but why don't you go ahead and buy this full gallon here and you're going to have cups for days. In other words, saying like, we want you to oversubscribe to this thing. And, you know, in the case of 
picking out apps and saying, instead of being realistic, what you can bite off and being fiscally responsible as to like what you choose to spend based on what you can ingest, kind of oversubscribe. I see that all the time. And it's not like I see it from both sides of the party and saying the person recommending and the person consuming have not done this before. Like in a very hands-on way, like they've never run an application security program and they've never been hands-on to know what unit of measure is realistic based on the prescribed timeline, right? And so the result is like they throw darts at the board and saying, the more money I spend, assumedly, the better it's going to be, right? Which unfortunately, that's not true. (laughs) Right. Right on. And it has two negative consequences. Right. And the first one's going to be, I think it's going to be pretty obvious that you don't use what you bought. I oftentimes talk about the fact that when Larry Poneman did the study, a majority of security capability was left unused. So just think about that. One of the fastest growing areas in IT, trillions of dollars being spent, and most of it's not getting used. That's sad, right? That That is good people who want to do the right thing, but they all bought treadmills and nobody wanted to run. Right. I mean, think about it this way, right? So here at New Harbor, right, there's our first value is protect the house, take care of the employees. So let's say that, you know, Justin, you decided the right thing to do is everybody should be more healthy. So I just bought a couple hundred treadmills so that all the employees can get covered. Well done, Justin. And like the three of them that get used need maintenance every once in a while. The same three people rotate amongst them so they get a brand new treadmill for two months in a row. But it wouldn't work. And that would be a reflection of the fact that you as a leader didn't understand what was reasonable for the company to consume. And it's the same thing when that cybersecurity person takes a look at it and says, what should I do? And the vendor saying, you can do all this. If it's good for a few of your applications, it's better for all your applications. Yeah. However, it doesn't work that way. There are real practical limitations through which the very best organizations have to push these initiatives. Let's face it. We care a lot about cybersecurity. It's all I've cared about professionally for 30 years, right? But I also recognize, honestly, seriously, 95% of the population doesn't give a shit. So we've got to figure out how do we balance making them more secure with them making sure that the toys arrive on time, that the power gets delivered, that the water continues to flow, right? How do I balance this, right? Understanding that balance allows you to make better decisions about how much you react to that. So to your question, partially this is, what can I consume? I love barbecue, cannot consume 30 pounds at a sitting. 28 pounds maybe, 30 pounds at a sitting, (laughs) not gonna happen, right? So understand what you consume. Number two, and this is the part that I thought might not be obvious, is that you run the risk of alienating people you care about who are doing their very best. Right. This is actually where in that initial thing, it must feel like an hour ago that I started talking about where the client was working hard to improve what was already a great application security practice. I was like, you don't want to go back to these organizations who are working hard, who are supporting good security and say, oh, by the way, here's all your holes and all these applications, knowing that across, you know, n hundreds of applications, there's no way in hell they can fix them. Understand what's practicable to fix. That's a huge, huge part of this equation. You know, there's math in here. How long does it take to access it? How long does it take to analyze it? How long does it take to fix it? What contractual terms we have to support it? What finances do we have to support it? Now we can decide what to do. So I go back to your example of the field medic trying to figure it out. He or she's got to decide, what can I fix? 
What do I have the equipment to fix? What requires somebody else to help? How many of these can I handle? How much weight can I carry? On and on and on and on and on. And in this very specific security discussion, although I think it's reflected everywhere in security, take a moment to step back and figure out what's reasonable. Don't figure out what's ideal. God bless us all. We want it all to be secure, right? You know, folks like Justin and Holly and I, we're worried all the time about making people as secure as they can, right? But figure out what's reasonable, right? Reasonable for your organization, for your state, you know, for your position in the organization, for where you live. Figure it out and then structure the plan to be as best you can in there. And to Justin's earlier point, figure out how you create a platform on which the next gen can stand. Don't make them do the same shit you're doing right now. Don't make them fight those same battles. Allow them to apply their energy and their intelligence and their inspiration to take it to the next level. Don't force them to fight that same fight again. Yeah, I mean, just running with that, I mean, if you get to the point where you can enable your program, enable your developers in a way where they can speed applications out better, faster, in a more business efficient and effective way. You know, that's, uh, that's pretty awesome. You make, make your developers look like heroes. Spot on. All right. Jack, I think we wrapped this one. Killer. I'm on it. All right. Well, if you need uh, application security help, just need general cyber help. Just want to chit chat. Jack and I have some whiskey. Have some beer sent on Friday. Pwned at newharborsecurity.com and catch you on the next one. <laughs>